Hey, there is a new podcast called Physical Attraction. Physical Attraction is the podcast about how science and technology shape our world. It features interviews with academics, authors and experts, as well as deep dives into specific historical and scientific topics in fields as diverse as climate change, nuclear fusion, astrophysics, artificial intelligence, economics, technology, and much more. From the birth of stars to the end of the world. Subscribe to Physical Attraction wherever you listen to podcasts and visit the show online at physicspodcast.com to find out more. That's P-H-Y-S-I-C-S podcast.com. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Hi. I'm uh, Francesco, I'm a chief scientist at uh, Amethix Technologies. The website of my company is uh, amethix.com, that's uh, A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. In uh, this episode, I very, very briefly would like to uh, explain uh, some of the methodologies that uh, uh, data engineers and data scientists are finding useful uh, for uh, you know, one of the most fundamental tasks in uh, machine learning, which is machine learning models in production environments. And uh, that's a very important task due to the fact that uh, machine learning models really do not exist only on your Jupyter notebook or uh, whatever local machine you are working on as a data scientist, but uh, these models, in fact, uh, become useful uh, every time someone puts them in production environments and serve uh, the you know the daily business uh, in the whatever domain that particular model has been designed for so there are essentially three methodologies or well three approaches uh, to put machine learning models in production environments uh, one is probably the most um, the easiest of all the the most simple um, which is um, performing predictions and uh, just storing them into a database. Now, this is probably not uh, a method that is widely used out there, uh, though in my career I, uh, I have used it a number of times. Um, essentially, it consists in running these predictions offline Offline means, you know, with respect to the production environment. So uh, offline means that um, uh, way before uh, there is a request for a prediction from uh, from a user or from another uh, machine. Uh, so you pre-calculate these predictions um, and uh, essentially you store the prediction that has been performed by whatever machine learning model in place into a database. And then uh, the problem of uh, uh, performing a prediction becomes the problem of querying a database uh, and just choosing for, uh, you know, filtering the results and just choosing the prediction that you are interested in. Now, the reason I mentioned this approach is because though it might sound uh, a very trivial one, uh, there are domains in which this is an approach that you might want to consider. Um, I've personally used this in uh, uh, very structured domains 
uh, like energy, renewable energy, and predictions for uh, you know volume uh, forecast or electricity pricing forecast and stuff like that. Um, also, some other industrial uh, projects. Um, it you know it it reveals to be a methodology that made sense from an engineering perspective, uh, due to the fact that in these domains usually there is a lot of structure in the way data flow uh, in a system. Uh, think about a IoT systems, right? Uh, Internet of Things or industrial processes. Usually these are processes that are very well defined. The scheme of the data is not supposed to change anytime soon. And not only that, the uh, statistical properties of the data usually do not change at all during the entire life cycle of that system. And so in those scenarios, what you would like to do is in fact standardize as much as possible of what you have uh, at your hands, which is the data, the scheme of the data, the scheme of the prediction and of course the statistical properties of data and predictions at the same time. Uh, there are some limitations uh, due to the fact that um, well, uh, it might happen that when someone is uh, is performing, is querying the, the system, that prediction has not been performed before. And so um, the, uh, the chances of getting a no answer or a I don't know answer <laughs> are very high. Um, but as a benefit for this is that um, definitely you uh, can measure and you can be very sure of what would be the delay, for example, every time someone is asking for a prediction, uh, because those predictions have been pre-calculated and therefore they are already in the database. And so you know exactly how long a certain prediction or a certain set of processes is going to take any time. Uh, so as I said, this is very well indicated for a superstructured environment, IoT, industrial processes, even predictive maintenance. I've seen uh, systems like this uh, working pretty well. The second approach is, um, uh, well, performing, uh, putting machine learning models in a production environment via a service. And uh, this is one of my favorite approach, if not the favorite approach, uh, the, the approach of, of choice for not by myself, but uh, the community out there and many great engineers uh, out there. Uh, that's the way they think about machine learning in production. So they usually tend to put machine learning models um, behind an API and so expose these machine learning models via endpoints and uh, providing the specifications of those endpoints and serving them uh, you know, as a regular service. And so you can, uh, as well as you can log into a system, you can uh, upload, you, you make post requests, get requests, and you interact with the machine learning model, which is essentially a job behind an API uh, via API endpoints. So this is one of the most advanced ways of um, performing machine learning model in productions and definitely is uh, one of the most versatile approaches that we have uh, today um, due to the fact that you know one particular feature uh, and benefit of models like this one um, consists of uh, you know integrating almost perfectly with the very diverse systems and so you might think of uh, different services different apis or just services uh, that provide funct different functionality. For example, 
uh, an API for data collection, an API for uh, data transformation, another API for uh, predictions. And so that's where you know, the machine learning model is essentially running. Uh, and now the thing, the problem is that these three systems, three or more, might be living in completely different infrastructures, completely different architectures with different specifications, uh, also different uh, lags and delays and, uh, um, you know, uh, characteristics and, and specs, in fact, even of the network stack, uh, different frequency at which e events uh, flow in and out. And so you might have a system, you know, the collection, uh, data collection system that um, uh, is triggered uh, at a very low frequency, for example, once per day, uh, or you can have, and you can have, for example, the machine learning model service that gets triggered uh, multiple times in a day, probably a million times per day. And so, as you can see, these two systems have two very different life cycles um, and essentially survive into very different worlds. Now, how would you integrate these things? Uh, clearly APIs and exposing them by endpoints is um, apparently the best solution out there. The problem is that uh, um, it's not trivial. Um, it's probably one of the most complex parts of uh, uh, integrating machine learning models. Uh, but in the last few years, I've seen more and more cooperation between data engineers and data scientists in a building systems that are, yes, very diverse, but uh, have the tendency to integrate with each other uh, pretty neatly. Um, due to the fact that, for example, uh, engineers uh, a few years ago were used to uh, putting behind APIs uh, jobs that were uh, living in the millisecond scale. Um, while now they have to deal with much uh, bigger and longer processes that is, for example, retraining a model or testing a model during, uh, while, while serving it in order to maintain business continuity. Uh, and of course, also the inference uh, per se can be a long, a long process, depending on the complexity of the model, of course. Inference is essentially when you put the model into, uh, you know, in prediction mode and that the model starts working on unseen observations so far. The, uh, the third and the last uh, methodology to put machine learning model in productions, in production environments is uh, application, you know, embedding uh, the model into the application layer. And uh, this is probably one of the most complex as well, uh, with some benefits and some definitely a lot of drawbacks as well as all uh, the other methods out there. So what is this method about? Well, uh, when you have an application, uh, this application is formed by the plumbing and uh, you know scaffolding uh, that provides the network stack or uh, an I.O. stack that interacts with the keyboard, let's say, or other devices, um, and all the other components that, the UI, for example, uh, and all the other components that make that particular application um, you know, usable uh, and providing the features it has been designed for. Now, the machine learning component or the AI component is in this third methodology embedded as part of this application. And uh, of course, the benefits are uh, one of the most important benefits is that there is absolutely uh, 
you know, a full integration with the rest of the system. Uh, there is no network stack or lag between the AI component and the application. Um, and so these two can communicate in the same uh, space, in the same process space, uh, back and forth, uh, without any latency. And so this is a very important, uh, important benefit. Um, systems that are uh, definitely preferring um, a solution like this one are uh, embedded devices or uh, edge computing devices, which are all these devices that perform some sort of analytics or AI component on the edge that is on the device, right? Uh, medical devices uh, of new, new generation medical devices are uh, definitely using uh, a model that um, in which application and machine learning model are perfectly integrated within the same component. There are problems, of course, there are drawbacks, and uh, uh, these are usually related to the fact that um, to the problem of maintenance and uh, but before maintenance the problem of production so uh, production means in this case producing the application making it um, uh, building it implementing it um, the in these uh, scenarios uh, very heterogeneous teams have to cooperate and build exactly the same thing which is the application where the model becomes one um, sub component of the entire uh, application and so um, uh, software engineers, uh, you know, the application is no longer made by software engineers only, but it's also made by um, uh, software uh, engineers and data scientists, data engineers. So, you know, there are a lot of uh, roles and the backgrounds that are contributing to build the application as is. So that's in terms of uh, implementation, uh, for which many companies out there do not usually have uh, such a diverse set of people at their disposal to build uh, applications of this type. And uh, I think that the biggest drawback of this approach is maintenance, due to the fact that I believe that uh, machine learning models or AI components have a completely different life cycle with respect to the rest of the application. Usually you make an application once, you can make a model multiple times in a week. Uh, due to the fact that models are very dynamic components, they uh, keep training and they keep evolving. And so the life cycle of the model is completely different than the one of the application. Now, what happens when you integrate the two? Well, you uh, essentially would start uh, sending updates to the applications on a regular basis uh, due to the fact that you, know, you would like to keep updating that model uh, as new data flow in or as new architecture, for example, think about new neural network architectures are invented or tested and uh, they become more performant for which, of course, you would like to take advantage of that and ship it immediately into the application. But guess what? The application and the model, now there's no more any distinction between the two. And so you are obliged to reship the application over and over again. This can be a, a tremendous amount of work and effort um, and also uh, quite inconvenient for the end user who is exposed to a number of updates that probably is not acceptable for its particular uh, domain and scenario. So that's, these are the three approaches. The uh, reason why I am uh, mentioning this is because, well, first of all, at Amethix Technologies, we uh, provide 
support for um, building application, building uh, machine learning models and uh, for production environments. And so uh, we have an heterogeneous team of individuals that uh, contribute and collaborate into building tools that allow us to uh, ship machine learning models of uh, a different type into production environments according to uh, the three approaches that I just mentioned, depending, of course, on uh, um, on the requirements and on the particular domain where these uh, objects have to perform. Um, I would say that um, uh, the other reason for this is that I'm personally working on um, a way to standardize um, the way people put machine learning models in production environment according to the second method, which is uh, uh, model as a service. And so I am, um, um, I've started a, uh, it was a, you know, one of these many personal projects that I, uh, that I have on my desk. Uh, and then all of a sudden they become uh, something more tangible and uh, that is worth sharing. Uh, so I created this project that allows one to select a model uh, coming from different uh, machine learning frameworks from scikit-learn, TensorFlow, PyTorch, um, and MXNet or any other uh, framework that you might think of um, and essentially build all the scaffolding that allows, you know, all the plumbing that allows to uh, serve that model uh, and expose it to the real world via API endpoints. So I built this and uh, my objective has been since the very beginning, since the design, to make this uh, in, you know, in the most comfortable way for the end user. So ideally, one wants to have a very simple configuration file and with one click or one command, essentially start a uh, relatively complex uh, service in, that is uh, serving that particular model uh, in, uh, uh, behind an API. And so this is what I'm building. Um, now, I have uh, called this uh, project uh, Servito, uh, which uh, in Italian means served, <laughs> and uh, it's not Spanish, it's Italian, uh, though it might sound Spanish indeed. Um, but the, the project is uh, open source, so it will be soon available uh, to the community, and uh, I will make sure that, uh, uh, you know, I will dedicate some podcast episodes on datascienceathome.com that is the official podcast by Amatix Technologies. I will also provide um, the links to the GitHub repo uh, that you can uh, you know, inspect and of course download and use for uh, commercial and non-commercial purposes. Um, all these links uh, are already accessible except the uh, repository of Servito that's not yet published. Uh, it will be in a week from today, um, but you can already access the GitHub repo via the official website of Amethix Technologies in the links. Uh, if you go to uh, amethix.com, that's A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com, uh, in the footer you will find a link to the GitHub repo and uh, that's where you uh, basically can access to all the open source projects that I am personally contributing to. That's it for today. I hope to see you around in the next podcast episode at datasciencetom.com. I'll talk to you next time. Take care. This episode is brought to you by my company, Amatix Technologies. 
When I created Amethix, I had one objective in mind, supporting human decisions in complex data-driven scenarios. And that's exactly what Amethix is today. It's an independent lab that builds data solutions for your business. I'm very proud of several achievements in domains like healthcare, pharmaceutical, supply chain, energy and fintech. So check what we do at amethix.com. That's A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.